Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey, Mike. Glad you could join me for some great seafood. Me too. Wait, why are you dressed in fishing gear? You said we were going out to catch great seafood, right? Yes, to Popeye's. Do you even know how to fish? No, I thought you did. Oh, yeah. I could catch pretty good seafood at Popeye's. Let's go. Let Popeye's do the fishing while you enjoy our delicious signature seafood. Get Popeye's flounder fish sandwich or shrimp tackle box before they're gone. Limited time at participating U.S. restaurants. And people love community. And I mean, the reality is, even if I look at Team Mahaley, that's why Team Mahaley has grown so big, because people are coming together who have similar ideologies that have a similar mindset to what I talk about and what my staff talks about and the things that we put forward on our day-to-day work. And it attracts other like-minded individuals to come and be part of that, right? What is happening? Welcome back to your favorite podcast, the Gordon Podcast. Today, I'm going to lay out exactly how I utilize fasting for my athletes. It's been a buzzword, but it's something I firmly believe in. I believe that a future of fitness is through fasting or components of fasting as well. So inside, have your notepads ready because I break down exactly what I do to great benefit of my athletes and myself personally through fasting. I think you guys are going to love this one. Get ready. I'll see you inside. All right, it seems like there's always a new fitness um, trend or buzzword or, you know, something going on that just gets people really excited that as humans inherently, we're very, um, we're, we're, we're tribal by nature. So we want to be part of, of something. And if you look back over history of, you know, hundreds and thousands and millions of years, um, I mean, even something like religion to its core is a group of individuals who have like-minded ideologies that come together to have a community to share these ideologies, these spiritual ideologies, and um, I guess physical and mental ideologies as well, to share them with a collective group of individuals who are along the same lines of, of thinking. And that's how religion has evolved to being so big. And that's how, um, you know, really governments form to, to become so big. And that's how so many things on a, on a, a microscopic level compared to something like a religion or like government have formed because people love being part of something and people love community. And I mean, the reality is even if I look at team Mahaley, that's why team Mahaley has grown so big because people are coming together who have similar ideologies that have a similar mindset to what I talk about and what my staff talks about and the things that we put forward on our day-to-day work and it attracts other like-minded individuals to come and be part of that, right? And fitness, with the buzzwords and, and the fads and all of that stuff, we see this happening, but they oftentimes fizzle out. Like I'm sure you guys might remember when keto was, you know, a way bigger deal than it is now. Um, now, there might be more people practicing it today because we actually understand the, the benefit of keto and how to apply keto. Um, but the reality is, 
I remember maybe a dozen or so years ago when that was just everyone's answer and the, the, the keto zealous answer to everything was just go on a ketogenic diet, cut out carbohydrates, sour cream, bacon, steak, cheese, you know, whatever it is. Obviously, we evolve in advance and as science evolves and advances and as the practices that we put forth evolve in advance, I think these things kind of wane themselves out or find an even ground to, to, to stand on. But one that I truly believe, um, I would even say no, if I'm forecasting into the future, is going to only improve in its popularity and craze that it's currently in is fasting. It's intermittent fasting. It could be prolonged fasting. And I love using fasting. I love using fasting within my athletes. I think that it is a phenomenal tool you can utilize. It's something I use in a, in a prep scenario for myself. I, I commonly intermittent fast. So I'll stop eating at about 7 p.m. And I won't begin eating the following day until about 9 a.m. So I have about 14 hours of fasting in there. The mental clarity that I get from it, the sleep quality that I get from it. But in a contest prep, you know, we're looking to be in a more catabolic state in nature more than we are in anabolic state. A catabolic state is a process of breaking down. And so if we're not in a catabolic state, we can't break down fat. So, you know, there's this misconception that catabolism is bad. Catabolism is bad. We have to have it's it's ebbs and flows and we have to have both in a day in order to like truly be healthy as an individual. In my opinion, we have to be anabolic in nature around our training session. We need to be catabolic in nature, um, you know, away from our training sessions maybe throughout the night when we're sleeping in order to allow certain responses to happen in the body. So we're in a more catabolic driven state. Insulin is going to be very low. And so when we are intermittent fasting and we don't have high insulin, we're going to be in a catabolic state. You are going to be more prone to move triglycerides into the bloodstream to be able to burn those off as energy, therefore drop body fat, especially if you have output in those times of low insulin. Catabolism versus anabolism is based solely off of our insulin and cortisol levels, right? So insulin high, we're in an anabolic state in nature. So when insulin's high and you ingest nutrients, those nutrients, yeah, I mean, they're they're not going to have great a great shot of oxidation. They're very likely going to be stored, and that's okay. So we need to be able to understand this in order to move forward within our literacy of the human body. When insulin is low or cortisol is high, we can be in a catabolic state, right? So we're going to be breaking things down. So like when we're weight training and you're tearing down the muscle fiber, that is, that's catabolic in nature, like to a T, but why do we take insulin sometimes before a training session? Well, that insulin is driving these nutrients directly into where they need to go. So we take in the essential amino acids, we take in the intra-workout carbohydrates, and it's getting shuttled into the muscles that we're actively tearing down. So we're also blunting how high cortisol can go in this period, which can be a very positive thing. Now, that insulin is very, very, very straightforward. The actual in, uh, utilization of insulin, I've done podcasts on this before. I know Phil Viz and I have a really good one that was recorded a while back, and I've touched about it a multitude of times. I could do an updated one for you guys. But understanding 
This relationship is extremely important. If insulin is high, cortisol will be lower in nature. If cortisol is high, insulin will be lower in nature. And where we want to find is a healthy balance between the two where throughout the day we have high insulin bouts and throughout the day we have um, uh, low insulin bouts. Throughout the day we have high cortisol bouts. This should happen in the morning. And throughout the day we have low cortisol bouts. This should happen in the evening, right? Um, so in the evening, we should have low insulin and low cortisol. And we should really be in a parasympathetic state trying to calm and, and go to bed for the night, right? Fasting gives us a great amount of control over our overall health, over our digestive processes, over our insulin levels, and it gives us great control to really be able to tweak whatever we want to tweak within our body from a health or a physical perspective. So when it, when when we're in a true fasting state which is just it's abstaining from intaking calories that's at least how i count it I know that there's definitely schools of thought that count fasting as water obviously for high level athletes we don't want to cut water we're training really hard hydration is a huge part of what we're doing so i don't want to cut water i just want to cut caloric intake i want to cut the the process of our body taking these nutrients in and having to disperse them as you know that is somewhat um that, that's a stressor in nature and when we're constantly pushing food higher and higher and higher we see inflammatory responses rise up we see biofeedback measures um you know kind of go off the deep end, especially with digestion or insulin practices. Um, so when we restrict the feeding window and we're able to have a prolonged period of not eating, a process called autophagy, which is it translates to self-eating, is able to occur. And this is essentially when your body just cleans out damaged cells. It regenerates healthier cells. And this is extremely important for maintaining popular cellular function, overall health. And fasting is what triggers autophagy. So in the body, we have these things called reactive oxygen species, and these drive inflammation rather high. If you're taking androgens, these are these um, these reactive oxygen species are occurring. It's just it's just a buildup of oxidative stress. If you're training hard, we have a buildup of oxidative stress. And to be honest with you, in America, due to the food quality that most of us are consuming, we're going to have a buildup of of oxidative stress, right? <clears throat> Obviously, there's a lot of things that contribute to um, uh, the, the the stress compiling in our day-to-day -day lives, but there's certain elements of being a human that are just stressful in nature. So what this process does is it allows for these this this damaged, these damaged cells, these inflamed cells or cells that are no longer healthy to simply just be processed out of the body. And they're going to be replaced with newer and, and, and healthier and, and better cells. From the standpoint of autophagy and understanding some of the harm that goes into our body from training really hard from utilizing exogenous hormones and things of the like, we can see right away that there's already a large foundational principle of fasting that can directly benefit us and our nature. Fasting has a response on the endocrine system, like growth hormone can be elevated while fasting and will be elevated while fasting. Our metabolic output, if we're constantly pushing, 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 and then we fast for a period of time, you might notice your hunger gets really, really, really high with a properly executed fast. 
oftentimes we see hunger drive in, in competitors to be a psychological hunger rather than an actual physiological hunger. There's many more people that are experiencing psychological hunger. They think they're hungry because they feel restricted or they you know, just don't have the correct mindset around dieting. And, and we don't actually feel physiological hunger. But physiological hunger is a very, very important thing that we need to be feeling and we need to have acumen of. We're obviously improving our insulin sensitivity. We're going to increase our fat burning capability because our low insulin is going to allow our fatty acids to be more prone to get into the bloodstream, especially if we're doing cardio, if we're using heat or cold exposure in the time. We can mobilize these things into the bloodstream and break them down at a greater clip. Remember, when you are undergoing activity of any kind, your body is going to use the most readily available source of energy to burn for that activity. If we are fasting and our insulin is really low and we wake up in the morning after growth hormone has been released throughout the night or we, we supplement with exogenous growth hormone and those fatty acids are being pushed into the bloodstream and we take something like yohimbine HCL, which we know is also going to liberate fatty acids into the bloodstream and we go and we do cardio we have fatty acids occurring in the bloodstream at that time and a, probably a higher abundance than what we actually have glucose in the bloodstream. So we're going to burn what's in the bloodstream. And if we are putting more of something in the bloodstream, that's what is going to be burned. It's super, super, super simple. So in a contest prep scenario, when we're like backlogging our food and we're like trying to not have the last meal until right before we go to bed at 10 p.m. and then we got to get up at 5 a.m. for cardio and stuff, we are blunting this response. If you're in prep, you need to be hungry. I mean, I mean like point blank. Like stop playing games to offset hunger in a contest prep when you are trying to get your body as lean as you possibly can. The hunger you are, the leaner you are getting. I promise that will hold true from now until the end of time. Unless you're using some sort of GLP-1 agonist like a semaglutide or something, which personally I have not used in any prep myself or with athletes. I am helping some athletes with it. Um, but they're, they're more lifestyle and weight loss individuals. Um, I, I I don't know the efficacy within a contest prep, but I have heard stories of it being extremely beneficial for us. So fasting has an impact on many, many hormones in the body. When we fast, our bodies, if we fast long enough and insulin slow enough, are going to switch from the primary fuel source as glucose to breaking down stored body fat for energy. This is a process called ketosis. And yes, this can happen without you being in a keto diet. This is based off of your insulin levels, not, not necessarily like your diet response. You, it is absolutely possible to have carbohydrates in your diet and have periods of ketosis throughout the day. It's absolutely possible. One does not inhibit the other from happening. Your body will naturally release ketones. I believe they're released from the liver. And ketones are phenomenal for our brain health as well. Our brain operates very, very well on ketones. We have good mental clarity from it and whatnot. But when we are in a state of ketosis, yeah, we can absolutely burn more fat uh, uh, than we than we will in a normal state, and we could potentially burn more fat than glucose overall as a whole. And that's obviously a huge deal. And this obviously goes against everything that promotes type two diabetes, which we have running rampant in the country right now. Um, 
Fasting has been shown to have extremely positive effects on the brain. There's uh, there, there's a protein that's called brain-derived neurotropic factor, BDNF, um, and it supports the growth and survival of neurons. So something I love doing, and and um, I, I've told athletes about it, I've told friends about it, and those who have tried it have seen amazing results as well. We're going to undergo this fasting period. So I'm going to stop eating about 7 p.m. at night, right? I'm going to get up about 5.45 in the morning. I'm going to start my morning routine. I'm going to go through my hot and cold exposure in the shower. I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to make my bed. I'm going to get my house super fucking clean and perfect for the day. I'm going to take Peyton on a walk. And when I take Peyton on a walk, I throw a podcast on, right? The mental clarity I have in this moment after, you know, at this point, it's been about a little over 11 hours since I've eaten my last food. The mental clarity I have is very, very, very strong. Okay. I believe in constantly learning something every single day. One of the greatest attributes we know that prevents aging is continually learning new skills and continually pushing your brain's function. We know that there's a direct correlation between that and telomere length and telomere length is like your actual age. So like you you might be 30 years old on paper, but like wherever your telomere is in its length, the longer it is, the younger you are, the shorter it is, the older you are. Um, We can, we can practice lengthening that telomere or preventing the shortening of our telomere, which are attached to each of the end of each of our DNA sequences by simply connecting new neurons we're creating new neurons, and both of those things happen through continually learning and evolving. Okay, so some of the smartest people in the world have this unbelievable, unbelievably com- complex neuron system that they're so intelligent. There's so much happening, but the issue with these people is, you know, commonly they for they they don't have the physical component to back up the anti aging properties of this. So it's like, well. You can constantly learn new skills, but you're hella fucking out of shape. So it doesn't quite matter. Like, you know, all of these things play into our telomere length. But we do know that physical activity, endocrine system functioning, and how far our brain is being pushed. And then this thing that I personally call the intuition of ambition. And it's it's something that's occurring in our prefrontal cortex which basically attributes to how needed you are in your community and in your life. So if you're someone of high value in your community, that's going to uh, delay the shortening of your telomeres. So it's going to like prolong anti-aging effects, right? If you don't have a lot of worth in your life and what you're doing and in your community, then, you know, that's the, the, that's going to shorten um, at a much faster rate than if you actually you know, did serve a purpose and a role, I guess, to put it as blunt as possible. But in the morning, <clears throat> I'm going around, I'm walking pay, I'm listening to a podcast, I'm learning new skills. Well, we know that through fasting, through low insulin levels, and in th- somewhat of a key uh, a state where ketones are being released, which they don't only release in ketosis, ketones will release in a state in a prolonged state of low insulin period. Obviously, they release in abundance when we're in a, a state of ketosis. We have increased BDNF levels, and they're linked to improve memory, learning, overall cognitive functions. So. While we're fasting, we're reducing inflammation in the brain, which obviously greatly impacts mental health and can alleviate symptoms of anxiety and depression. But we also are able to learn much faster and much more efficiently in that state as well. So 
some ways that I use and implement fasting with my athletes. Number one, digestive issues. Hey, if we have really bad digestive issues, I'm just going to ask my athletes. Number one, we might start with intermittent fasting, but there's many times I ask my athletes like, Hey, let's just not eat for 24 hours. Let's get this thing a full gut reset. Let's allow our microbiome to not be affected by foods that we're taking in. Again, food quality in America, very low. For 24 hours, we're going to crush glutamine. I'm going to crush like 45, 60 grams of glutamine. We're going to hit some apple cider vinegar, maybe 20 to 40 grams. We're going to hit some oregano oil. We're going to have our new ethics green supplement. We're going to hydrate. We're going to salt. We're just not going to eat for 24 hours. And some of you listening to this be like, what? Oh, my God. Dude, psychological versus physiological hunger. Like, you think you're hungry. But the reality is, like, you really push for 24 and, like, you'll be able to make it. I mean, it's like you, you know, you eat your last meal at 7 p.m. at night. Well, you know, you you get your day started, you go through a morning routine, you X, Y, Z, all that stuff. Well, shit, it's already 10 a.m. in the morning. Like the, the following morning. Like, what is that? You're already 15 hours in? You're already 15 hours in, it ain't even that bad anymore. Like now you gotta do is made at 7 p.m. So understand that this can't be something that directly affects our overall digestive health and well-being by simply just take a day off of consuming. So if we're having digestive issues that are very difficult and very stingy, let's take a day off consuming food and just give our digestion a break. It's not, it's literally going to do nothing but benefit for you. Uh, in peak weeks, I love getting a physique nice and full and hard and grainy about Thursday before the show, early Friday before the show. And then we fast into the show. <clears throat> I believe that there's, a lot of, of athletes that whose abdomens don't look quite right on stage. The reality is that's a massive part of our physique. And if you're on stage and everything's bussing, grainy, hard, nasty, perfect, but your abdomen is bussing too, you're not going to look very good. I like spilling someone over a little bit by like Friday morning. So if the show's on Saturday by like Friday morning, and then I'm going to pull things back in starting after that. You know, we might have some water here and there. And it depends on the peak, right? Like this isn't like one size fits all. Dependent on the peak, dependent on the athlete. If I know that uh, pulling food down is going to make their abdomen look significantly better, I'm doing it 100%. And we're going to fast up until we get on stage. We spilled over a little bit. So we have extra that the body can use. And we're, we're going to use that throughout the day. And you're going to see as this time goes on, especially in a peak situation, if, if it's been nailed perfectly, I mean, man, your metabolism is running quite rampant. So we spill things over you just by sitting there and, and posing, walking to check-ins, walking to, you know, athlete meetings, walking to tan, that little bit is going to be enough to pull us back and hold us back. But then also, I mean, there's a lot of tools you can use. You might wake up on show day, still don't have the right look. You can hit a little pump in the gym, in the apartment gym, or you can go to a gym, you can hit a little tiny pump session and, you know, put some of that excess of uh, uh, food to use. Um, but the reality is the longer we go without food, the more empty our stomach is going to be. And then the harder and grainier our stomach is going to look to be able to match the rest of our physique. So I like using it in peak weeks. I would say maybe 30% of my peak weeks have a fasting approach at the end of it, um, up until we get on stage. And, um, it's something that works quite well for me when we're in a long food push, we just have really low hunger. Understand hunger is a huge biofeedback signal for people who are training hard and really pushing their bodies again, you know, physiological hunger versus psychological hunger. If we're really hungry, 
um, or we're really not hungry uh, from a physiological perspective when you're training, you're pushing, you're growing, you're all this stuff. Hey, at some point we might have to pull some things back because I mean, we see this and I, I see it, you know, in women, it's symptoms are much more prevalent because they get the blowing, the bloating of the lower abdomen. Uh, but in men, there's so many more men with SIBO than who even are close to realizing that they have SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And that happens because the food isn't processing and being pushed all the way through by our migrating motor complex, or we just have too much food for it to all be pushed through by our migrating motor complex, which every 90 minutes it's going to run. It's going to try and push everything through into our bowels. Well, it's a pretty perfect system if you're not constantly pounding food and, and, and kind of overriding our body's natural ability to handle food, like what bodybuilders are doing. So this gets thrown off and it gets skewed and it resets anytime we ingest anything. So if you have a meal now, but then a little bit, you have, you know, another couple hundred calories of something that's kind of going to reset that migraine motor complex, at least to my current understanding of it. So now we have food sitting in um, our small intestine or just sitting in our gut and it's just fermenting there and gases are building up and bacteria is building up. And now over time, overdoing this, and this happens to people who are extremely high stress. Cause remember if we're constantly high stress, then we're going to be in a sympathetically driven state versus a parasympathetically driven state. And a parasympathetically driven state is where our digestion works much more optimally than in a sympathetically driven state. So if you're constantly stressed, I mean, there's very few people that I've seen get SIBO that are not just handling their stress really poorly, truly. Like we all have a stress response and we all have ways we can handle the stress. You have to put that effort into it. And if you're not, then, you know, there's going to be negative health consequences that happen. It's also impossible to fix a stress physique, a stress individual. If someone is psychologically stressed about something, it's impossible to health fix them. It's just, it's just not. And I've had a lot of people get angry and leave me over the years of me telling them that, but the reality is um, that that's 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 the nature of the situation. I know I talked about that before on here, but we have to be able to handle psychological stress. So, what happens? Bacteria fermentation, yeast, whatever builds up, and now we have irritation and inflammation happening within the bowels. Um, and within our small intestine, sorry, um, that persists into our gut. Uh, now everything kind of gets backed up and nothing's working appropriately. So we have to reteach the body how to work. Um, I think a lot of this is like six meal a day eating. There's certainly a time and a place. I think five meal a day eating is a little too much. Like if we could just eat four times a day, if we eat four times a day and you know, like a, a, a 12 hour window, so it's like a meal every three hours. And then we have 12 hours where we're not consuming. I find that to be really beneficial and extremely health, helpful for my athletes. That being said, I mean, I got some big guys that I work with that it's not practically all the food that we need in four meals in a day. And so we have to add more in. But less meal frequency is going to contribute to better overall digestive health and not allowing these problems to persist. So another item with this is the insulin sensitivity component. The less meals we have, the less our pancreas has to work, the less our adrenals have to work, um, and the less overall inflammation is going to accumulate because the less stress our body is having to break these things down, the greater enzymatic response we're going to have, all that stuff. So rethink the way that we're eating. 
and think about, is this something that I can fit into my diet? Is this something that I can do? And if you're an athlete of mine and you want to practice intermittent fasting, it's super easy to do. I like intermittent fasting starting at at least 12 hours. So if last meal finishes at eight, your next meal, your first meal the next day won't be until eight, right? It's super simple and straightforward. I prefer 14 personally because that's where I've seen the best results. If you're in a contest prep, I'd highly recommend this. And then all you do is you just work your meals out, you know, through the other, through the 12 or 10 hour um, um, feeding period that you're going to have on the day. And you're able to do that. And I guarantee you see some good stuff from it. So as always, I hope this helps. See you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See JDPower.com awards for 2022 details.